You are listening to a Nerd Room Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Be sure to check out more from the Star Wars Commonwealth on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Hey everyone and welcome to Nerd Room. We talk all things Star Wars, Marvel, and DC. This is episode number 226. We're discussing our listener choice film review, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990. I'm one of your hosts, Tim. I'm Troy. I'm Carlos. And I'm Sanjay. Oh, guys, this is one of the most exciting things we do. Once a quarter, we ask the listeners to choose a film review. And this week, we are reviewing, as I said, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990 very very excited to get this rolling guys i cannot wait to review this i put this in the poll last time lost out just slightly to ghostbusters but here we are a couple months later reviewing teenage mutant ninja turtles this is something that i've had a renaissance a personal renaissance with with the action figures with the retro collecting with now this film and I cannot wait to get into discussion this week, guys. It's going to be an absolute blast. We've got the four turtles at the table this week. Got the boys back in the room. Full episode review here for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So hope you guys have watched it. Full spoilers. This movie's 30 years old, so <laughs> we're going straight into it. No spoiler-free section. Nothing like that. <laughs> It's going to be an absolute blast, guys, and we appreciate those that did vote for this like we do. And like we said, this is going to be something we do once a quarter is throw it to you guys, throw up some movies, retro reviews of these old films that we do have love and passion for. Yes, this isn't Star Wars Marvel DC, but this fits in the wheelhouse of the nerd room. So here we go, guys. But right before we get into it, we got a quick reminder Get vocal, guys. We had an absolute blast last Friday with a ton of people talking nerd over on our live stream. So this is over on Get Vocal. You guys get hooked up there. We're doing it again this Friday, July 10th. We'll be at the mics at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And because we're doing a film review this week, we're going to be doing our Week in Nerd, This Week in Nerd segment over on Get Vocal. It's going to be live. It's going to be interactive. You're going to see what we bought. And there's even going to be an opportunity for you guys to jump in the seat, take a mic, and show us what you picked up this week, what you were reading this week, and what you got up to in Nerd. So get over there this Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Get Vocal, Nerd Room, live stream. Get it. We had a blast, guys. Like It was a ton of fun, eh? Oh, that's yeah, awesome. oh, yeah. wicked. It's great. Thanks for everyone for joining us and tuning in. That was, that was awesome just to interact with everybody on the fly like that. So much fun, man. Looking forward to doing it again. Yeah, yeah, man. I had a blast. It was absolutely a blast. You know, come in here. Didn't know what to expect. Get vocal. I was like, who are these guys? They must be pretty cool if they want us on their platform. <laughs> we jumped on. And yeah, man, it was a ton of fun. So can't wait to do it again. You know, the first time was fun. The second time will be even better. It was awesome. We didn't know where things were going to take us, right? And I, yeah, I ended up getting totally into it. It was like being at somebody's wedding after a couple bourbons and Billie Jean drops. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. never know where you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of way, man. Very much <laughs> yeah. an apt description. So, if that doesn't get you amped, I do not know what will. <laughs> but, guys, we're going to jump right into this TMNT 1990s review. 
And what we're going to start with here is we're going to set the framework, set the foundation for our personal connection and personal association with a franchise that is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think over the last couple of years in particular, you know, Troy's has held that fire, held that flame in the nerd room here as being kind of the champion of the TMNT. And then I've come here, you know, years behind him sprinting to try and catch up because all of a sudden, like I said, I've just had this personal renaissance with this franchise that I hold near and dear as a child. And now with the action figures and everything coming at us, it's become a focal point in my nerd space with the comics, with the going back, watching the cartoons, the films, it's, it's been incredible ride so far. And, but we got, we got to figure out what everyone else and what your association is with this turtle franchise, both now and then, you know, we've had, several movies coming out we had the bayverse turtleverse started up you know we had tmnt the secret of the use as a kid and we've got some films in between the tmnt reboot the animated version so there's a lot in that space and a lot in the turtles franchise this billion dollar franchise so troy man expand a little bit on what your personal connection is to the turtles and what it's been like since you were a kid right up to now Oh man, so many ways. I think to start it off, it has to come down to the figures. Um, that's what I remember the most. Uh, the original toy line, I always wanted the movie toy line, but I never did get my hands on the toy movie figures. But I always had the originals, the skateboards, the blimp, the pizza, oh. the pizza van, the turtle van, obviously. Um, and then the video games, man. I remember going to the arcades. Turtle Arcade was the best thing ever, but you know, we got eventually on the Nintendo, which was just this little 8-bit thing that just quite didn't live up to the arcade. Then, you know, you graduated and you get that Super Nintendo, and that's when I got Turtles in Time. And I absolutely loved that game. Got it for my birthday as a kid, actually, and I loved it. I loved the arcade version. Um, and then, you know, it was probably more, I think it's the Nickelodeon, the first Nickelodeon Turtles show which was actually really dope. And uh, it was a little bit more of a serious tone. Still played a lot of homage to like the original cartoon, but it's a little more episodic, I guess you could say. And then obviously the movies were fantastic. Rewinding there, going back to the first two. The first two I love. Actually, yeah. I'm a weirdo. I actually like part two the most. Part two, oh, Secret of the Ooze wicked. was really cool. And the music was great. And I remember, again, some of the characters in that movie popping up in the video games. So all around, just love that. And then it was Sunny. Sunny um, mentioned to me that the IIDW comic books have been fire and jump in now at 101. And I did that, and I went back a little bit, and I was like, wow, this is this is top-notch. This is probably the best thing of the Turtles we have right here in this book format. I uh, went down, I read those books, and I've been loving those, keeping up with them. And the NECA line, the NECA line, man, those figures, like I mentioned, Fire. as a kid, I always wanted the movie figures. And what better way to get them than the NECA line? Because these things look identical to the costumes that we have in this film of the 1990s Turtles. And uh, yeah, man, I've just been going crazy ever since, basically. That's, yeah. that's my whole spiel with the Turtles, yeah. It's an absolutely awesome, awesome space to be in right now. It's got this, and I, we've, we come back to this time and time again, same with the Ghostbusters. It's now become such a, a focal point for collectors our age and for revisiting this 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 era, this ni- late 80s, early 90s era. And NECA has been doing just crazy, crazy work. And I think they're partially responsible for this this huge renaissance that we're seeing like that casey jones and raf figure sold out instantaneously 
and they, they've really lit a fire underneath this franchise. And then, like you said, the comic books, you know, I dipped into it as well, 101, and I loved it. I loved it. And so it's it seems that I, I don't know if it's just because, you know, in the circle that we're in, that this has caught a little bit of fire, or if this is kind of felt in the broader nerd space. But yeah, Turtles are, are riding high, even a new new series dropping here in the not too distant future. They're rebooting mm. the, the animated cartoon again over on Nickelodeon. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see another film, you know, put down into production at some point here. It's absolutely nuts. The, the turtle space right now, but Carlos, man, you know, going back in time, you know, do you have a big connection with this? You're, you're, I'd say a smidgen older than us. So you kind of bring maybe <laughs> a little bit of a different perspective, not too much. You're kind of six, eight months older than us, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, yeah but no, what's your perspective on turtles here? Yeah, no, I always dug them. I was, um, like turtles at their height, kind of when the movie was coming out and everything else. Um, that was still in the, in the wake of Batman 89. Right. So mm. it didn't capture me the way everything else did, but it was really cool to see some of my buddies get into that nerd space, um, where I had been. And so it was kind of like Batman Ninja Turtles way before DC and Nickelodeon ever made it a thing. Like we were doing that back <laughs> in the nineties, but, um, yeah, like my younger brother really dug the turtles. So they were ever present. Like I experienced the animated show alongside everybody else. But like Troy said, the video games, that was my big gateway, like fighting with my buddies as to whether or not Donnie actually had extra reach with the bow staff and yeah. <laughs> playing those and like right up through the the fighting games that they did on like playstation one and two and uh yeah i really dug those and then had a bit of a renaissance when they did that tmnt animated movie mm-hmm. a yeah. couple of years Seven? ago yeah. out of the shell out of the shadows was it yeah, yeah. i think, no, so. I yeah. think that's yeah. the that's the bay one isn't it the sequel Oh, that is oh, yeah. the big that one. Is, yeah, you're right. Oh, is, yeah, I think it was just yeah. called TMNT. Right. Okay. Yeah. That had uh, Chris Evans, I think, voice Leonardo, did he not? No way. Oh, really? I think so. Okay. I might be wrong, but. Yeah, I remember Lawrence Fishburne was like the narrator for it. Wow, but, that's uh, a big get. Yeah, like my my oldest was really little at the time, but she, uh, she kind of started digging the turtles a bit, so we ended up buying some books and some toys and all that kind of stuff, and uh, yeah. Watch the Bay movies. I've always, I've always dug the turtles, but um, there's always been things competing with their, uh, with their prominence for me. So, yeah, they always seem to follow, fall into the shadow of the Dark Knight. But it's cool <laughs> that they've been teaming up all over the place lately. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's just yeah. meant to be. Yeah. So, to sorry. Be. Correction here. Evans was Casey Jones. James Arnold Taylor, who voices Obi Wan Kenobi, was Leonardo. Oh, crazy. Yeah. yeah Sarah Michelle crazy. Geller was April O'Neil. Yeah, so yeah, pretty wild cast there. All right, wow. so Sonny man, you 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 bring kind of a, a a good perspective here too because you have a a spoken affinity for the Bayverse. You know this reboot yeah, that happened, man. I believe in two thousand fourteen, two thousand sixteen. We got mm-hmm. kind of this reboot of the franchise, a very different look to the turtles themselves, much larger, big CGI, big Bay esque film, but. In and itself, it brought in Bebop and Rocksteady for the first first time in live action. We got Krang. So it brought kind of a big cartoon element into the film, the big screen, that we didn't see in these original three movies. Yeah, man. Like, my first exposure was the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, I had watched that thing every day. Like, I think it was on every Saturday morning. Oh. And I would just watch anytime it was on TV, and I found it. I would just leave it on that. Like, yeah, that was my show 
but it wasn't even like just the cartoon it was like the merchandise that went with it so anything that they slapped a ninja turtles on i had to get and it was band-aids i remember (laughs) everything they were smart like they put them on band-aids i had to get the ninja turtle band-aids uh they had the ice cream one i had to get the ninja turtle ice cream um what was it i think they even had like a ninja turtle skateboard or something like that like nice at t-shirts shorts shoes anything that had the ninja turtles um logo on it or the ninja turtles i had to get it um and that included the figures so i had a ton of figures especially from like the animated show and then um, i did actually get the movie figures i wish i remember where they were or i took better care of them but i had always got them and i'd always play with them um you know as a set and i'd always like keep them together and they would always battle and of course they'd always win and uh so i was always a big fan of the ninja turtles and the movie you know, it's funny, like the movie, I don't have like one singular memory of watching the movie, but when I was rewatching it for this episode, so many stuff like jumped up that was familiar. I was like, I remember that scene. I remember that mm-hmm. scene. I remember that scene. But I couldn't like pinpoint one time as a kid watching that movie. And then I remember Secret of the Ooze and then Ninja Turtles uh, Back in Time or something was the third one. And I remember, like, I had, like, merchandise for that. Like, I had, like, a big puzzle I remember doing as a kid that you made the movie poster. Um, But I don't remember, like, seeing that one. So maybe I saw it in, like, VHS, but it's kind of fuzzy. And then I missed the animated movie, like, the one, the TMNT one. And then the Bayverse came out. And I watched the first one in theaters, and I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. Like, a lot of people were, like, crapping on it before it even came out, right? Like, that's just what we do it's like oh this isn't the ninja turtles like this isn't my ninja turtles so this is gonna be crap and i was a little bit more open-minded and i went in and i was like yeah like the first one was just okay like i i thought the first movie was just okay um it's begging for a rewatch especially given that we just watched this um but but then i watched the second one um and it was when my daughter my daughter was just born and so we didn't get to go out to the cinema very much because she's very little um, but I did pick up the Steelbook. So when it came in, I threw it on and I fell in love with that movie. I don't know if it was just like lack of sleep and like early fatherhood. <laughs> that like was the reason. But I, I tell you what, that movie was great. It was funny. Like it had Bebop, Rocksteady, Krang. It was like they brought the animated series to life. And to me, like the Ninja Turtles were great in it. Like they had personality. They were doing stuff. I love that film. I is again begging for a rewatch because it's been now over four years since I've seen it. But absolutely, that is my favorite Ninja Turtle film of all time. Like I even like it more than this one. Yeah, and I really like this one. Um, but to me, the Out of the Shadows, fantastic film, and it's too bad that it didn't make enough that we could like get a third film or like continue on with this franchise because. To me, I felt like it was just like hitting its stride and it was getting better. And the third one would have been even better. But uh, alas, next time, hopefully it catches on a little bit uh, more with the general audience. But yeah, man, if you guys haven't seen Ninja Turtles 2 Out of the Shadows, check it out. Yeah, to be honest with you, I went and watched it in theaters. And I watched it at, I believe, the landmark up by You Sunny in one of those oh, okay. like, big reclining chairs. Yeah. And so I don't, to be honest with you, I know we talked about it in an episode a long time ago and I can't remember if I was happy about it or not, but I agree <laughs> with you. It does, it does beg for a bit of a rewatch here. And I think for the most part, that movie is much more of a parallel and a translation of the cartoon onto screen. 100%. And it's very much a Michael Bay film where I find this 1990s is a bit of a hybrid between the 84 comic and some elements of 
the cartoon itself. You know, it didn't take the same liberties or or try to strike that same tone that the comic book or sorry that the the cartoon did. It really went along line the lines of the comic book, kind of a much darker tone, you know, something that isn't overly favorable towards a PG family audience. You know, that 84 comic, you know, being the the brainchild of Laird and Eastman, like these guys put something on page and it became an absolute phenomenon. Like if you go back to even the toys that made us, they do a great job in chronicling the history of the turtles, even though it's about the toys specifically, they do a great job as to where they came up with the idea. This all these allusions to Daredevil with Splinter and the foot and how they took this concept, kind of this last ditch effort, and made a a massive billion dollar franchise at it, stemming from a nineteen eighty four comic book, which this film takes a lot of cues from, especially in the tone, their origins, even the rooftop battle with with Shredder. Like a lot of the influence you see in here is heavily paralleled in this film. And even going back to the toys that made us, they talk about, I believe is the producer guy, the guy that got the toys going was they were very nervous because this wasn't the cartoon that had found them so much success. This wasn't the cartoon that, you know, they're pumping toys out for. And so this whole franchise was built up around these, these comical, these very lighthearted, colorful toys. And then you kind of swing here and you got this film that for the most part, tonally is very dark you know lots of sewer shots very dirty new york lots of night fighting and kind of more of a serious tone and that's one thing that was i found interesting going back you know from the cartoons and in this review space is contrasting it to the cartoon and at the time like this is the peak of the turtles 1990 when they went into production here from 80 whatever it was 89 forward like this is when the cartoons at their peak playmates is selling out every single toys r us with every single figure they can think of from space raft to like whatever right like yeah i I think i even had that i had everyone had that baseball raft like yeah like the uh like the old like ruffles and he looked like a western kind of Raphael. It's unbelievable. The amount of waves, like, you know, when we talk about the Black Series and Marvel Legends, the McFarlane, the waves, you'd get, you know, Black Series maybe an exception this year, but look at the McFarlane's two, three, four waves a year. Like, this this thing was like the pegs were packed with toys. Like, you guys must remember that. Like, just going into the Toys R Us and being like, yes, I want that. I want, like, leather. Yeah. Like, it's just, it was bananas. It was crazy how many figures were out there and you know how much focus as a child this had on it and then boom this movie hits and it's capitalizing on the success of the comics the cartoons the toys and here we are with with a film that not only is totally different from what was expected but doesn't present the turtles in the way that we would have thought right it doesn't have bebop and rock city in it it doesn't have krang it doesn't have shredder even in the same light that we had but when you look at it from a success perspective the box office is kind of the telltale sign here you know this movie was released march 30th 1990 to over a 25 million dollar debut now you put that in the context of today and it doesn't sound like much you know any movie we say we'd call that just a flat out failure it didn't pull over 50 30 whatever but this was the biggest opening film of all time for an independent production company this went on to gross over $135 million domestically and over $200 million worldwide. That's in $1990. So this was like a runaway success when it did drop. This finished fourth in that year, 
only behind Ghost, Pretty Woman, and Home Alone. This topped out Die Hard 2, Back to the Future 3, Total Recall. That's how successful this film was domestically. And it did capitalize on that peak success of the Turtles in this time frame. And so it's really cool to look back and see how successful it was. And the other thing that's really cool to look back and see, the reception. Now, I don't know, like maybe Carlos, you can bring a little context to this, but you know, you look back and the, with the money, this was definitely was see pretty well. The tone, everything, notwithstanding. And so you look back though at Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a shit Rotten Tomatoes score, forty <laughs> percent, <laughs> but the audience score is over eighty. So big discrepancy here. And I think what this points to is present day reviewers reviewing a film that came out in nineteen nineties at the height of the Turtles, and then you look at the audience. And they're saying, no, this is a good film. This is a great film. And me personally, you know, before we really get into this review, I want kind of everyone's just general take on this. I I tried really hard to take off the nostalgia goggles. I tried really (laughs) hard to not let my personal feelings for this franchise influence the review. But I could not escape it, man. This movie is freaking awesome. (laughs) This this holds up for me in every single aspect. We're going to get into the details, of course. But everything from the turtle costumes to the story to the tone to the score to like even the whole arc that these characters go on, April, Casey Jones, the turtles, Shredder, Splinter, everything to me is very economic and very well done. If you have any concerns about damaging your perception of this film from childhood, to me, erase that. Like it does, that's not there for me. Like Sonny, do you do you have that same perception that? This even by today's standards, this holds up. Oh, absolutely! Like we're talking thirty years ago, and the Ninja Turtles still look great. Like they, they're ma- they're the actual suits, so they're they're realistic. They look good, and it just works. Like I, I sh- you know, I I talk glowingly about the Bay Turtles. Thirty years from now, probably not. You know, like thirty yeah. years CGI doesn't really add. You know, it doesn't really age that well. Whereas these Ninja Turtles, I think they were made by like uh, Jim Henson Jim Studio, Henson. Yeah. like the Muppets. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Who did the the Muppets? So mm-hmm. these things look fantastic. They did an excellent job on that. And like the um, the look of New York, like it looks dark. It is gritty. And to me, like this is like a spiritual sequel to Batman '89. Like this film looks like you know you could watch Batman '89 and then watch this film right after. You would swear they take place in the same universe. No. I don't know what it is. Yeah, oh, totally, <laughs> totally, man. Heard These it. things. Heard it here first. Yeah, man. <laughs> this this man. is like the the, the missing uh, Burton Batman film. Like this looks like it could have been made by Tim Burton. You could have easily had '89 watch this, and then they could have had a team up after, and it would have been the greatest thing ever. No. <laughs> <laughs> Carlos, bring bring some perspective here, man. Does does this hold up? Like watching it through the present day goggles, and I think out of any of us, you're going to be the one that can be able to remove the nostalgia goggles the best. Like, does this hold up? Like, I before we we started talking here, I said to me when I watched Jurassic Park, like that holds up visually. Like you can't see the lines there. To me, this holds up visually, particularly around the suits. Like, am, am I blinded by <laughs> turtle vision here or what? Turtle. <laughs> no, you know what? That was one of the things that I was actually pleasantly surprised with was that it held up really well. And I've been like poking around my phone trying to find the inflation adjusted box office mm-hmm. because I remember it being like a big hit at the time. 
and almost surprisingly so. Like those were the years that I first started kind of following movie releases and kind of box office and things of that nature. And yeah, I remember it being a big hit. And I also remember like for months there having to be warnings and like telling people uh, to keep their kids away from sewers and like PSAs saying like kids don't go looking for the Ninja Turtles. They're, they're not in the sewers and they're not in storm drains and stuff like that. So that speaks to how popular the film was. Um, yeah, but it really held up to me. The most astounding thing was just like the suits being a practical effect was totally the prudent way to go because it made the film feel kind of timeless and they did such a good job with them on screen that, yeah, sure. There's going to be, um, the odd moment where it's like, yeah, you can tell that that's a guy in a suit, but at the same time, like Tenson studios did such a good job giving them life. And it's almost like the, the Muppets themselves were instead of becoming just a product of the eighties that becomes outdated, they did them in such a way that you could make a contemporary movie and have a CG enhanced version of a guy in a, in a suit like that. And it probably looked not bad. So as far as the look of New York goes, it was New York. Like mm-hmm. it could be in the same cinematic universe if Sonny wants as like Beverly Hills cop or like Die Hard or things of that nature. Like you watch that and it is totally the 80s, 90s New York movie kind of thing. Like especially those daytime shots and um, them running around and stuff like that. But I kind of dug that they leaned into a realistic type New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that the turtles were something unique that had never been seen kind of thing. And it, it probably made sense for their budget as well to do it that way. So Yeah. Just interrupt. I did look at the inflation. So inflation adjusted domestic. So this is just the U.S. and Canada. 290 million. Even by today's standards, that is a resounding success. Like for something in this space with something of this budget. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact budget, but it wasn't high. Uh, I'll tell you that the exact budget was 13 and a half million. Yeah, there you what? go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this wow. thing, you know, makes 200 million off 13 and a half million. That's pretty good margins. I'll tell you what. That's like an episode of the Mandalorian, man. Yeah. That's yeah. Nuts. <laughs> exactly. That's, nuts. <laughs> good That's point. I, I think it <laughs> held the record for highest box office gross compared to its budget. Up until Joker of last year, oh, over a billion wow. dollars. Yeah, like because this thing, if you think about, it, this was over ten times its budget. So right. Joker was the only one that beat it. I'm pretty sure I could be just, you no, know, like throwing right. baloney. What was well, De- Deadpool did pretty well too, right? Deadpool had what a 75, 79? I think a fifty-eight. And fifty-eight is really low, wasn't it? Deadpool, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's great though. Wow. Yeah, pretty wild, pretty wild. Yeah. Troy, man, does yeah. does, does, does yeah, this man. film hold up for you? Like in, in the space that we're talking here about, you know, yeah. comparatively, you throw it into present day. Yeah. Try to take those goggles off a little bit. Does, did it hold up for you from what your expectations were? For, for the most part, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't bad by any means. That's my my biggest worry is when you go back to some of these films and, you know, you remove the nostalgia glasses and then you're like, shoot. But I removed them and it wasn't it wasn't that bad. It, it was it definitely didn't hit me like it did when I was a kid. Yeah. But much like Carlos, man, the, the costumes, oh, those so look good. incredible. They look so good. I'm looking at them like action figures. I'm trying to look for like the joints and the cutoff points, you know, where they mm-hmm. place them in there and you can't see it. They, they look seamless. They look great. Um, but the biggest thing too, is seeing uh, April O'Neil and Casey Jones act off them. 
they yeah. really make them come to life that much more where I really believe that these freak of nature turtles exist in a world where these two people can really make them feel believable. They're interacting with them and you're like, yeah, like this works. So uh, hats off to those two for really uh, pulling that off. But the costume for me really works. New York, um, New York feels like it did in the night. You know what? New York here reminds me a lot of, uh, I think it's like the early 2000 rent film they made but it's meant to be set oh, in the yeah, 90s. Yeah. And those worlds both look the same. Like it actually does look like that 90s kind of New York. So um, this, yeah, the set works for me. The weakest part probably, a couple, couple things that are pretty weak for me is the shots. I feel like the shots, everything's very close. They're, you're never like six feet away more from the characters. Everything's like, it's almost like I play like a Batman Arkham game where it's like over the shoulder. Like everything's like <laughs> right there, you know? And um, for, for being the turtles, you know, when I think of turtles, I think of the action scenes. I think of the fighting, especially reading the comics now and seeing some of the cartoons. The action sequences are so cool. I guess it's different times then, but the action sequences don't hold up the greatest to me. Even though some of my favorite parts of this film is a is a certain action scene I like, but the actual like combat isn't the greatest. But I guess you have to work with what you have in those costumes. Yeah, it's something else. But it, it's definitely something I'd like to see done in today's day age with the new turtles keeping them practical looking like this, but I'd love to see some really cool fight choreography going forward. But anyways, um, that's, that's basically my biggest points for this film. The score was kind of whatever too. The, the score for me, I could not help but remove it from the nostalgia factor. Cause I remember the score being <sighs> as a kid, I was like, that's the turtle score. So I just, I couldn't separate that. So for me, the score is like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm three, I'm three again. <laughs> so, watching those things. So, um, all Absolute. around, it's, it's a fun time, and I can't wait for my daughter to watch this. I watched yeah. it last night pretty late, but um, I like it, man. I like it. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you, man, and we're going to touch on the score here in just a second, but that's the thing that's consistent about all of us here is the, the costumes. That is the piece that had to work, and it had to hold up for this movie to, I think, remain in a space where we can give it the compliments that at least I'm going to shed on it throughout this review. Um, you go to before two? we continue, oh, I did do a little bit of research, and these are the most five most profitable big comic book <laughs> movies of all time. Okay, are you guys ready for this? Okay, number one is Joker, um, over a billion dollars on a $62 million budget. Number two is The Mask, $351 million on a $23 million budget. This comes in at number three, Ninja Turtles, $200 million on 13 and a half. Number four, Deadpool, which we talked about, $783 million on a $58 million budget. And number five is Carlos's favorite movie, Batman 89, $411 million on a $35 million budget. So just wanted to just wanted to get that in there. There nice. it is. <laughs> but going back to back to the suits here, look, if you go to number two and then number three and then live action and then everything they did after that, the suits are never the same. Mm-hmm. Never the same quality. It's never done the same way. And that's where it sticks out. You go to two, slightly more. It's they're still really good. Three, it sticks out like a sore thumb. The live action, it's like, holy geez, are these guys coming to a birthday party or what? Like, you know what I mean? Chuck E. Cheese just had an extra suit kicking around. Like, yeah, painted green and you got it. Like, beyond the story, that's the difference maker in this. When you look at something, it's like, whoa, that sticks out. Three, they stick out. Their eyes are bulging. They've changed stuff. It's just not as well done. And I think for this movie, and I think the success of it, not only banking on the fact that it was at its peak, but the legacy of it, and I think 
what allows us to to really talk about this thing positively is the fact that the turtles work the suits work and we're going to get into it here now in a bit of detail guys because we're going to jump into the film itself we're going to walk through this like we usually do in our reviews we're going to walk through this relatively chronologically talk about some of the key elements the turtles themselves supporting cast the overall arcs and narratives that we do see these individual characters go through and troy i'm going to come back to the score thing watching this through here i love the score i love the themes that we get like when you kick this movie off there's like the new york theme and then you've got the upbeat turtles theme and then you've got the low shredder theme like everything to me works here and my second viewing in the last couple of days of this film that really caught me that it's and i remember those musical cues from a kid you know it's not the same as the cartoon score or the cartoon song that's like stuck in my head perpetually but this score here I find this like has like these these cues in my brain from when I was a kid and I love that and it's it, like what is it about the score that doesn't particularly work is it just kind of bland for you no so as a, as a kid it definitely worked for me so yeah. that's the thing so it's hard for me to separate it because okay it's like, okay okay yeah so like it, it did work for me but it's hard for me to like separate like my my child self from that score oh, okay basically so it, that's the one thing I couldn't really critique as an adult, I guess. Uh, okay, I see what you mean. So <laughs> it was, it was, hard it was so yeah. built into the nostalgia yeah, that you couldn't exactly. separate that out. Exactly. And maybe maybe I'm sitting on, in the same space. Carlos, you know, you know, help me out here. Like, <laughs> do, does the score work for you? Does these kind of musical cues for different aspects of the film, like, does it does it work in from your perspective? Yeah, I thought it was perfect. Like, it perfectly suited the turtles. And then I think that the score was on the soundtrack as well. Like the B side of the, mm-hmm. I remember oh. buying my Leonardo blue tape um, <laughs> fr- from HMV. So they had like the four colored tapes and I picked Leonardo, but uh, I'm almost positive that a good chunk of the score was on that tape. Cause I remembered all that music disproportionately well, like <laughs> the, obviously the turtles theme uh, became something of a pop culture phenomenon, but even like the shredder theme or like when the the foot was lurking around those musical yeah, cues that, and yeah so yeah good. and i like i'd seen this movie a pile of times like i remember my brother watching it lots but not enough that i should have known the music that well so i, I think that it was on that because i did rock that tape in the old walkman quite a bit yeah, so. I mean, I had the <laughs> yeah. I remember now, now i gotta yeah. go buy oh, this man. tape yeah. yeah that's cool yeah. i remember those that's really cool oh, yeah. man, to so me the trouble. score kind of sounded like an 80s like horror film like it had like that synth music to it as you could tell it was a little bit electronic i love the score like i'm right there with you guys i think the score is great yeah it, it works on all levels for me it, it, it kind of really puts you in the space of the tone and it really helps with the aesthetic of the film. Like when it wants it to be upbeat, when the turtles are on screen and they're having fun, high five and skateboard and it's like up here. And then there's the moments with shredder when like he's walking out into that space with everyone around him. And the music is just like bang on. Like, I love it. It's so good. And the final fight scene too. It's to me, the score it's, it's exceptional in this space for what it, what it, it drives that emotion in the film. We speak a lot about the score here in this and what it can do to not only enhance the film, but enhance a trailer. You know, we spoke about that last week, that exact thing about how a score that makes and ties to the film itself makes all the difference. You're never pulled out of this by a wacky song, you know? Even the Go Ninjas in, in number two, man, it felt like it was part of it. Like, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder if he was playing that it is uh, COVID-24. 
yeah. for a Fourth of July concert. Yeah, so good. That's well, that's for that's another well. day, guys. <laughs> but as we kind of kick off this film, we get a real good perception and perception. And you guys have already hit on it numerous times here about about New York, In the '90s New York. It gives us you know the full aesthetic of what's going on. And I love the way that you know the narrative is kind of driven at you by showing you elements and to me it's really april o'neill she's one of the first characters you see in this film you know she's a big highlight from from the comic big highlight from the cartoon and she's kind of slightly shifted here to align a bit more with the cartoon being a reporter but i find that april herself is kind of this really cool glue that holds the whole story the whole narrative together like she is kind of interacting with the foot and then also has like these moments with the turtles that feel to me relatively organic. And the actress, I think it's Judy or Jennifer Judy Hodge, um, she's great in this role. And I find that, like you said, Troy, she brings an element of believability to the interaction with the turtles. Yeah. And I love how they use April here. You know, she at times does, you know, could maybe falls to the trope of being the damsel in distress, but she's a badass too. You know, she's fighting for herself in the subway saying, mm-hmm. no man, I've had enough of this. Yeah. And she's going at the police chief, you know, she's going at the foot themselves, attacking yeah. them to the point where shredders, you know, telling his boys get after her. Yeah. So like, <laughs> so Troy, man, you, you seem yeah. to be in great agreement here. Let's talk about April and Neil, you know, before we yeah. get into some of the breakdown of the trails themselves, like I find that she's a great character in this film and you pull her out and you lose that keystone character that holds this whole thing together. Yeah, yeah, no, she's she's great, man. Um, she just embodies that role. To me, honestly, she's probably next to like the um, the Donner Superman, Lois Lane. I feel like this is like the closest thing we've had to like a legit live action <laughs> Lois Lane. Like for real, she she brings it because because you mentioned it. Like she's in there, she's reporting, but she's also like can you know she she she's she's fighting she's fending for herself especially in that subway scene um i like what she brings to the table like i mentioned already with the ninja turtles and her interactions i like the nod that they give us with her and like the yellow jacket yes. like she makes that work like out of the cartoon she had like that yellow jumper right the jumpsuit right. and here she has the yellow jacket and it just worked for me it didn't seem so like oh this thornings in the cartoon it just she's just rocking it with that swag um it's a shame that we lose her after this film actually because yeah, i don't think it's the same no nope. yeah it's not the same one um and again her relationship her chemistry with casey jones is mm-hmm. great and it's and it takes its time and it develops especially once we get to the um like the the farmhouse basically but um no overall she's she's great man i love her she's a fox i think it's i think it's uh donatello <laughs> when you, yeah she's on the screen you know yeah um, <laughs> well and she has I this like unique relationship with each turtle right and yeah. i think that's really put to the, the front of the film in the farmhouse which we'll talk about in some detail later but she has almost like these quiet character development moments with each of the turtles and she helps individualize them right because yeah. one of the things that you could have run into with this and this is even some of the criticisms that i don't agree with that are on rotten tomatoes is that you can't tell the turtles apart and to me, that's a load of crap. Yeah. <laughs> like, you didn't watch the film. Yeah, exactly. Like, to me, visually, you can tell them apart, their voices, the way they interact. But, like, I find that April's relationship with them individually, her relationship with Raph and Donnie yeah. and Mikey, you know, Mikey's got this, like, perpetual crush on her. It's, it's yeah. really great the yeah. way that she kind of moves around the screen. And, like, again, like, how she's able to act with something that is yes. a dude in a rubber suit plus an animatronic head. 
Like it's it's fantastic. Sunny man, like coming off the cartoons, April O'Neil that we knew and loved from there, and then translating mm-hmm. her onto the big screen and being such a pivotal part in this film. Like like what are your what are your thoughts on April here? Yeah, man, she's great. And I know you mentioned Troy that she wasn't back for the second one. She's actually in a deleted scene for Out of the Shadows. Yeah, she meets up with Megan Fox's April O'Neil. So just another reason to love that movie. Oh. Wish they would have kept it in. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. From one yeah, box man, to the other. Yeah. <laughs> well played, good well sir. Done. Well played. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I'm right there with you. I thought April O'Neil was great. Like she wasn't just like sitting around waiting for things to happen. She was like making things happen. And the way she was just arguing with the police chief, and then her boss is like, "Knock it off!" And then she's like, "No, I'm still gonna like go at him the next day." And then she just didn't take no guff, man. She was just straight up a badass, and I loved her in this. She was great. Um, I, I have to see the second one, uh, Secret of the Ooze, because I don't remember that film in particular. Not to see. Good April. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. This one, she was great. Um, just too bad that she left. I don't know why she left. Um, maybe the, the scheduling or something. I, I don't know, because, like, I, I have no idea. Because... <laughs> oh, okay. It's a pretty, pretty tight turnaround, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're trying to make but that yeah, bank. No, I thought she was great. And, like, her... Um, her interactions with Casey Jones, who was another character that I loved. And like growing up playing hockey, Casey Jones was super cool to me. And they like make a Wayne Gretzky reference in this. I thought that was dope. But yeah, man, April, April was great in this. Yeah. What about you, Carlos, man? Like the insinuation that I made about her being, you know, a very pivotal character, character that, that pulls a lot of the narrative together. And she's actually, I find even the driving force brought to behind a lot of this like she is you know in part the reason the turtles end up on the surface she is in part the reason that she's you know connecting up the foot and actually pulling them out of the shadows so she in a, in a sense does a lot of work pulling these two you know protagonist antagonists together into like this ultimate fight do you find her being a, a character of that importance when you watch this film back yeah to be honest like probably the highest praise that i have for this movie is just how utterly efficient it is yeah getting through everything like it it took its small budget and they did they hit every turtle trope that you needed to hit with it and they gave you everything as though you were only going to get one turtle movie kind of thing um and that's all thanks to april o'neill being your point of view character i thought they played it pretty smart by having her be the reason that the turtles have to come out like you said and then having her being the tie-in to the foot soldiers and everything else, so yeah, it was good. And she was she was pretty fierce, and I I I liked how they played her character. Like she she had a lot of different facets to her, and she was never in this antagonistic relationship with the turtles. They played up the fact that she was a reporter and she was curious about them, and then the charm of the four turtles is what won her over, and that's why she was on side. And so yeah, it was good. I uh, I liked what they did with her character, and she was a smart cog to spin the whole movie around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure, for sure. Now you're you're touching on the turtles there, and all guys. We we've given and heaped the praise on the look of the characters. Let's talk about them individually here. You know, these are the characters that the whole franchise are built around, and the idea of like I said, individualizing them was very important, so you could differentiate them not only visually but also so that you could have these kind of side arcs. Of, of characters that were going on in the background here. It wasn't that we had this, you know, cohesive unit that was progressively moving forward as like this one giant blob moving through the film. This was, you know, you know, I would say that 
you pretty much have two, three different arcs between the four turtles. Raph really is kind of one of the focal points here who gets a lot of character developments and he really sticks out, you know, as that, that lone ranger, that Ronin type of character from even the comic books, right? And then you've got Donnie and Mikey that have somewhat of a combined sort of arc together where they're they're paired off often. And then you've got Leo, the leader here, who goes on his own journey as well. And he's kind of that yin to the Raphael's yang, right? Where he is kind of that opposite, that, that force that is always trying to drive towards doing the right thing. Well, Raph is off doing his own thing. So... Troy, I know Raph is, is your dude, man. He's, he's one of your boys. Yeah. How, how did you feel about the portrayal of Raphael in this and even his interaction with people like Casey Jones, you know, bringing him into the mix here because they have a special relationship here that is, you know, built on as we go through this film too. Oh, I loved it. I loved Raph's portrayal in this. I, again, I can't remember what it's like in three very much, but I do remember always, I think this was actually what really made me like the character more going back. Um, I love how he just, you know, he's that Wolverine character. He's the rebel. He leaves the group. You know, he's not taking any of Leo, AKA Cyclops's nonsense. <laughs> and he, you know, he leaves the lair to blow off steam. And I, I love First of all, I got to say, I love his New York accent. Like, he sounds so New York. And I'm like, <laughs> boom, that just works. It just adds more to his edginess. And his interaction with Casey Jones at the park and, you know, when he books it after him, I always remember him just screaming out in rage, like, damn! Yeah. You know, and it's, <laughs> I love that. Um, and the trench coat, you know, that that look, it's, it's classic to me. It's iconic. Um, and then just seeing him again, you know, one of my favorite scenes, this character, when he goes off to do his own thing on top of the building, mm-hmm. and he's taking on the whole Foot Clan by himself. And he's yeah. doing pretty well for a minute. And then, obviously, you know, he gets overwhelmed. And then the cues, the way the direction goes back and forth between the action sequence, between Wrath fighting, and then the rest of the turtles being like, Wrath's kind of been gone for a while now. Yeah. And then eventually, so you know, good. he shows up. And I love that, man. So for me, um, I think they probably out of any other turtle i say Raph is the one they nailed the most, not just for like the characteristics, but just he got the most, fo- more yeah. of the focus, I'd say. Uh, Michelangelo is, is so lovable in this film, obviously, too. But I feel like, in my opinion, out of all the turtles, it's Raph that steals the show. And for the film, it's, it's, it's April and Casey. So it's, for me, it's those three that just yeah. run with it. Yeah. yeah, I fully agree with you. Know, Raph was always one of my favorites too. And yeah, he, he does get – he gets a complete arc in this where the yeah. other turtles are playing somewhat of the supporting cast to Raph's arc, right? He's he's off doing his thing with Casey. He has yeah. that early relationship with April, and then he's the one that is injured later on that the turtles rally around. Yes. And so he gets kind of like a, a really, really nice arc in here. But that's not to say the other turtles don't get their moments, you know. Sonny, no. man, let's let's talk about let's talk about Mikey here a little bit. Yeah, you know, man. He's, he's always he's always yeah. Yeah, that's Sonny right there, man. Sonny right he's, there. He's always uh, one of my favorite. Most immature one, <laughs> but like oh, he's hilarious. One, man. Yeah, he's so oh, lovable. Thank and you. like, thank you. Exactly, he's he's Sonny here, man. Like yeah. coming off the cartoons, you know, he played that that cowabunga, that dude, that you yeah. know, pizza loving guy. You know, something that they brought in from the comics into this film, which I think was a nice touch. But Mikey, he lightens a lot of this, right? Even in the fight scenes, they're always taking those moments for him to have those little quips, to mm-hmm. him to have like kind of the, the fun with the nunchucks and all that. Like he has that standout scene in that big fight scene where he's doing the nunchuck stuff, right? So they play not only the comedic end of things, but they also show he's a force to be reckoned with. And that's a lot of fun to play with in the film. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I've always liked Michelangelo the most. And um, one, I thought the nunchucks was the coolest weapon. Yeah. I thought like it, when he like does the thing, I thought that was super cool. And two, he's he's the funniest guy. 
right? He cracks the jokes and he's always like making things lighthearted. Like when Leo and Raph are kind of arguing, Mikey's just like, hey, Donnie, like, should we, they're going to fight. They're going to be a while. Like, let's just go to the kitchen. <laughs> like, I thought that was a great line. So I actually good. laughed really hard at that. Yeah. Man, and he's, he loves pizza, right? And he's just like always trying to get the pizza and he's just always about the pizza. So, and I love pizza. I mean, what a coincidence. Um, <laughs> I thought Mikey was great. Uh, Troy, you make a lot of good points about Raph. I love like how he was like the moody teenager. Like he's, he, you guys feel like he was ready to rebel against anything, right? He's just yeah. like, what do you got? I'm going to rebel against it. <laughs> but I like how like him and Leo, they had the most fighting. But then when Raph got injured, mm-hmm. Leo was the one who like was the most upset by that, right? Like he was the one that was tending to Raph by his side. And like when he was okay, he was like the most excited. He's like, Raph's okay. Raph's okay. I actually think those three did really good. Um, Donatello to me kind of fades in the background in this. Like, I don't know what it is, but like, I feel like the other three have standout moments. Whereas Donnie's just kind of like the fourth wheel uh, in this adventure. But uh, the other three, I thought they were great. And and that's not to say Donnie was bad. Like he has, you know, he's there and he has some cool stuff with his bow staff. But to me, he just was kind of, definitely like the fourth in the race there he's he's the like uh i'm trying to think of like something where there's like four and he's the fourth but nothing's coming to mind so you know like they have those like those like memes that was big for a while like the shopping cart and like the one like <laughs> bum like bum wheel would always be like something he yeah donnie was like the fourth like bum wheel on a shopping cart in this <laughs> well i don't i don't disagree with you that that donnie kind of got the short ship on the overall development of the character. He does have a few stand-up moments on the farm where he is interacting with Casey Jones, and they they tend to have those moments when Raph is down and out. But he doesn't have the same sort of standout moments. You know, when you go to two, they play up the tech end of him a lot more where he's, like, tapping on the computer and all that. And he doesn't quite get that, like, that tech guy sort of portrayal in this film in particular, you know? And I think, to me, it helps the film because it makes it timeless. You go to two and it's great film, but he's like on the computer and they've got all this weird stuff and that dates it a little bit and them shying away and him being kind of, you know, helping Casey repair the car and giving him the tech guy angle on that. Yeah. I think works, but you're right. He, he is a little bit more quippy than he's portrayed in later films and he doesn't get the same tech guy sort of stuff. So, like, Carlos, you know, Donnie was, was your dude, was your favorite, I believe. Now that I just yeah. crapped all over him. Sorry, Carlos. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, <laughs> he, he's be... great in the Bayverse. I, I like him in the Bayverse because, like, he is that techie kind of guy. And they do uh, – he, he makes the pizza van in that. So, like, he has a role. But in this one, I felt like he was just kind of generic turtle. Yeah. And don't worry. I don't take it too personal with the turtles. T- <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was it wasn't like you said he, that he like, like Val was the best Batman. In the middle. He's just throwing darts at my face. He's like, he likes the Joker more than Batman and he doesn't like Donatello. Like what have I gotten myself into in this crazy yeah, podcast? No, to be honest with the, with the turtles, I do, Tim, you kind of mentioned the criticism of the turtles being all, um, indistinguishable from one another. And like, yeah, granted they're, um, headbands and whatnot and they do each have their moments but i felt like daff or raf definitely has an arc and his voice is a lot more distinctive than any of the other turtles with his attitude and his accent and everything else but i felt the other three like without bringing in anything from like outside comic books or the movies that came after or anything like that like 
the other three were all kind of of a piece. Like mm-hmm. quite often Leonardo and Donatello were acting the exact same as Michelangelo. And um, like at the beginning, they probably had the biggest differentiation between like Leo and the rest of them when he has his little step two with uh, Raphael. Yeah. But then after that, I kind of felt like the other three, you could have swapped the headbands and they kind of all do the same stuff. Um, not that it was bad, but I, I do think that with April, Casey, and Raph getting as much development as they did, um, and the main foot soldier kid, the other three turtles had to fall into the background. But that's just going to be the case when you're introducing a whole new universe and yeah, a whole sure. cadre of characters kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I don't think it was bad, but uh, I, I think they made the smart play by having one turtle as the focus of the whole thing. So you had a tether to the to the team and to the brothers, and then uh, April was your POV for the world. So, yeah. yeah. I think it works on on multiple levels with the turtles is that you do have your standout characters and you do have them, you know, bringing you some of the lighthearted moments. And I think Leonardo himself, I'd agree with you at at parts. He does feel like he's he's put to the background. But I think when he gets to the farm and even in some of the more lighter scenes when they're in the sewer and you've got Splinter Aston to meditate and you got Donnie and and Mikey dancing and then Ra or Leo's just kind of standing there with his arms. I think that to me, it portrays him as being a bit more of the straight arrow. Uh, and then you see him doing a lot more of the meditation. He's the one that you kind know, of kind of finds splinter through meditation. So I, I like where they position, but I don't disagree with you that, you know, at times you can find them. I think visually they always look distinct. And I think Donnie and Mikey maybe suffer this from the most, particularly Donnie. Like he, doesn't know exactly what to do through parts of this film. But I find overall that, you know, each of them have smaller and larger arcs, but they are their own individual turtles, which I think is, it's kind of cool. Like when you think about it, what they're able to do in a relatively short film with animatronics and all this, like even like the, the voices, you've got Corey Feldman playing Donatello too there, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like big eighties kid. And so it, it's, I, I love that, you know, you can distinguish them, they've individualized them, and then they've given, you know, like you said, Raph this, like, prominent role in here. And it just works, right? This is the character, the turtle you're following around. And let, let's talk about Casey Jones here. He's kind of another, you know, part of the crew, becomes part of the crew. And I like what they do with this character. You know, he's a Canadian actor. He's a lot of fun to be around. That interaction with Raph in the park is is great. You know, this, like you said, Sonny, some great references there. And they, they, that two-pack, that naked two-pack, guys, it's on the way. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> and then we find him actually being a bigger part of it, especially when we get to the farm and the big antique fight scene that we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. So, you know, Sonny, throw me your thoughts uh, on Casey Jones here and how he, you know, as a character develops quite a mut- quite a bit. And then we also get some nice, you know, moments between him and April, him and Donnie, and then he becomes kind of a mainstay for for the turtles here by the end of the film. And I'm somewhat disappointed he didn't show back up in number two. Yeah, man. Like I love first off, I love the hockey mask, the goalie mask, like the Jason yeah. mask. Like hockey goalies need to go back to that. I know it's like a hundred <laughs> times less safe to like take a bucket in the head wearing that, but it just looks so cool. Like someone needs to bring that back. Um, and I mentioned, yeah, like as a kid who played hockey in Canada growing up and hockey was like my life, Casey Jones was just like to see him like make it. It felt like all of hockey made it. Cause I'm like, they have like a hockey guy that was like, he played pro before his like shoulder went out 
and he's uh he's in the ninja turtles i'm like oh that's so cool like i i just loved it so casey jones to me is definitely like one of my favorite characters in the whole film like he was great like his lines were so like of the time <laughs> you know like some of them you like watch back and you're just like ooh, but like it was so like 90s like his lines like he i think he calls like april neil broadzilla or something yeah. it's, <laughs> yeah, it's very um, much of the 90s yeah. right right um i like i like his hair i'm trying to grow my hair like his um <laughs> i thought he was great um and he, and he plays cricket too so i mean he's yeah. just a man of all of, of the world of all sports so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's he's got a great look to him here now carlos do, do you you've mentioned casey a few times in in his arc with both Raphael and in april do you want to expand on that a little bit as to how you see him as a value add to the film yeah no he was cool like he uh he did a good job shoring up those pieces that they just didn't have the budget for so he, he was a great way to help carry the story along without um any special effects or having to have the turtles on screen yeah he was he was cool i was uh, I was surprised at how well he fit in, given how jam-packed this movie was. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of seamless. Um, I did have to laugh how like random French Canadian hockey guy was able to go toe to toe with these like ninjas and stuff like that all over the place. Because <laughs> he was uh, an enforcer, and he was like uh, he was Bob Probert, maybe. Yeah, Bob Probert, Tim Hunter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you get that reference, then you get bonus points. Yeah, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> but yeah, no, he was cool. He was cool. The turtles, it's not that deep, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it's, it, it, I think it worked for this film, right? You know, it did. I yeah. think all his interactions too, like it's it's odd. Like when you think about it, when he looks at Raph for the first time, he's like, "What are you, some sort of punker?" Like he never really questions what he's looking at, and then he shows yeah. back up later on the film, and they're then they're driving north and. It's just he's kind of the guy that just goes with the flow, and it just it, it just works for me. Like, is this a character Troy that that worked for you in the same aspect as the turtles did and as April did? Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it just it just worked for me. You know, he didn't ask any questions; he just rolled yeah. with it, man. And I, <laughs> I I love the dynamic of like you got these well trained ninja turtles, and then you have like this well trained athlete that is they've now like crossed paths and they're you know they're fighting crime together does it make a lot of sense that he can take down ninjas no but but not once but i'm watching i'm like that doesn't make sense it just works and he holds his own against raf again i already went into that scene how much i like it but um it's the actor man the, the swagger that he brings to casey jones is so believable and it's way better than Stephen amell another good oh come on way better man than his casey jones because that was listen i love that guy's arrow but nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's going to be the next uh, Troy and Sanjay battle. Would oh. be, you like yeah. a Mel better than this guy? No, no, but he's in uh, Out of the Shadows. So I, think I he know, but he's not, he's, he's not, not good. He's Out of the Shadows doing a good job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no. I think it is the swagger that he carries, right? And there's yeah. no, like, he doesn't ask any questions. And I think that's great, right? You know, yeah. you've got April at the start asking questions. And that's like, maybe you could say that that's your pov like she freaks out at the start and he's kind of just like eh, cool 
And then he <laughs> yeah. shows up in a burning building. He's like, I got you guys. Like, <laughs> And so like this vigilante that kind of shows up to help out the turtles and, you know, when they're in, in need of it, it's, it's, I, it's a great arc the character gets. And like I said, it feels organic. It just works. And I don't need anything more than that. <laughs> I, I got to ask it's, like Sonny or, or, or Carlos, cause you guys are the DC guys. Um, do you know if Sportsmaster was made before this guy? Because uh, look at Sportsmaster, he's like, he's like the villain. They look very similar, Casey and yeah. um, Casey Jones and Sportsmaster, and they're kind of kind of similar power sets. So I just I'd be interested okay. to know if they, if any of them took cues off each other to create the other. It could be I don't long. Know. There were so many like mm-hmm. just horrid kind of flavor of the month villains through the right. 50s, 60s, 70s. Well, so I, I think Sportsmaster came first by quite a bit. Okay. Yeah, his first appearance was All American Comics '85 back in wow. May of '47. Yeah, so, <laughs> so wow. just a couple of years. <laughs> wow. No, that's crazy. But yeah, like, like everybody but he's been in DC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's been yeah. Laird known for kind of their. It very well could be right. They're known for tipping their hat at certain things, right? Definitely. Um, to, especially Definitely. with Daredevil but, having the most references, right? Yeah. But yeah, no, the look, the look of Casey Jones is awesome, man. I, I love it. I think this. Uh, this version of Casey Jones and the current IDW uh, Casey Jones mm-hmm. is my favorite, hands down. Yeah, yeah. yeah really Definitely. well done. And now yeah. the, the the character here that that brings a lot of this together, and he's the one that's responsible for some of the exposition earlier on in the film on the origin story, is Splinter. And I have to say that you know I really like this character, but it's when you look at the animatronics and what they did here, it's probably on like I think it's still good, but it's on the weaker end. Like you can tell this thing is a bit frail. It's not always working with the the mouth and that for me, but it doesn't take anything away from the film. I'm trying to, you know, put a little bit of the review goggles on here and see that's the only time I find like, and it's just a very few scenes where he kind of sticks out a little bit. He's just not as dynamic as the other characters, right? You've got these guys flipping in these suits and it feels great to me. And Splinter is a bit more frail. Maybe that's the character you portray, but like when he's up on the roof, He's very stiff. You know, when he's in the chair, you can tell it's a puppet. But like Splinter and himself, like this is a character that it's responsible for bringing the kind of Japanese element of this film to it. You know, the ninja end of it. Um, He has some very quiet moments early on with Leonardo explaining kind of the the essence of everything. He's someone that's meditating. And then later on in the film, he does have a, a very interesting arc with Danny. The, the foot soldier kid here, the kid that's struggling, that's you do get this like, you know, POV for on the the foot soldiers and what they're doing. But Troy, let's let's talk a little bit about Splinter here mm-hmm. and how he himself is used as as a kind of a tool in this to provide that context that you need to understand the origin of the turtles. But then he's also the driving force for the turtles to come back to New York. And, you know, playing the character that's kidnapped that they need to get back. So he, he plays, you know, I think quite an important part as a character in the film, but doesn't necessarily get a ton of screen time. Yes. Yeah, Splinter for me is probably probably one of the weaker points of the mm-hmm. film. And it's not so much like his dialogue or his writing. It's more so just the presentation of him. He was just so frail. And yeah. he actually took me more out of the like validity of like the characters than of like turtles than anything. I agree with you. Um, yeah, just the way he looked, the way he moved, it didn't necessarily drive for me. I, I guess it's just a more of a hope or a want, but I always wish he kind of played out more like a Yoda in attack of the clones kind of mm-hmm. 
or, or obviously you, or Empire Strikes Back, just kind of being the frail person, but can also like handle business. So to the point when I, we do get the end of him taking down Shredder, it just it never worked for me. That it's, maneuver it, he did, I, yeah, it, it feels so off, bad. right? Like in yeah. a movie that's relatively well choreographed throughout the whole thing, it's this one moment, and he barely moves, right? Like, yeah. no, like he's not dynamic enough. Yeah, like, but I do love his score. I love how it has like yes. that last samurai almost kind mm-hmm. of theme going behind it. i love his i love it and i love yeah like the history that he brings i love uh his little origin story too mm-hmm. when he's talking to i think it was like he's talking to april and i love april this goes to show how good april is too how she's playing off of splinter like she can't believe this this rat is in front of her <laughs> and she's like interrupting him like every two seconds as he's trying to like continue the story and it's <laughs> I, ugh, it's so good her performance off of him but um yeah again back to splinter it's I can't remember even what he's like in part two or three, but I, I just felt in this movie, I just he's just kind of wooden. I just didn't like his animations or mm-hmm. animatronics, whatever, about and him. Yeah. The the follow-on films, I find, like, he grades even more in the follow-on okay. films. Like, in three, yeah. it's, like, it just looks like a costume you'd buy at, like, Party City <laughs> or something. Like, it's, it's not super well done. Yeah. And I think that I'd agree with you, man. If I was going to lob one criticism on this film, it's going to be the splinter and the way he moves. But I yeah. think as a character that brings you the context you need, not only for the turtles, but also for Shredder, right? He yeah. provides that more inherent link between what is actually going on, like in the broader battle that's been going on for centuries, right? Yeah. He provides that needed history lesson in this film without asking you to stop and rewind, right? I find that it's a relatively organic history lesson that you get partway through the film that doesn't ask a whole bunch of you, right? It's, it's, you know, pretty simple. Turtles <laughs> fall in ooze, rat falls in ooze, they get smarter, they get bigger. Boom. Here we are. Like it's, it's, it is what it is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't really ask much of it, but Carlos, no. like th- this slight criticism that Troy and I are lobbing here at the presentation of splinter. Do you kind of align with that in when you're watching this, especially on this rewatch? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, even, like, as a kid or whatever, I remember him always kind of, like, there's no difference between Splinter and, like, Pepe the King Prawn or, like, Beauregard the janitor from the Muppets, right? Like, he has that kind of <laughs> Kermit the Frog arm movements when yeah. he's moving his arms and stuff like that. And, yeah, he serves his purpose. He's, like, the exposition guy, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> exposition as to what the turtles are all about at the beginning, exposition as to the origin the Danny Redemption exposition piece in the middle. So, yeah, he, he serves his purpose, and you can't have a Ninja Turtles movie without Master Splinter, right? Oh, of course so, not. Um, yeah. yeah, it just doesn't feel complete. So, I, yeah, he, he's fine, right? Like a 90s movie for kids, $13 million budget. I, I hey, dug him. It's, yeah, I wouldn't say it's bad. It's just yeah. when you compare it to the Turtles, it's it's not as good. But you're right oh, yeah. in, in that piece that... It's, it's a necessary character, not only because it's the Ninja Turtles, but because he plays, like you said, an important part in driving the movie and even with the Danny Redemption arc, right? It all works. Even Casey Jones has his moments with Splinter, right? Um, it gives Casey something to do later on the film when the Turtles are kicking ass. Like, and so it's, it's cool. It kind of, he's always being used in, I think, in a, in a way that helps the story um, and never hinders it. 
Well, and it was good because like Casey Jones is French Canadian, and Splinter kind of being from Fraggle Rock, they like <laughs> paired well together at the end of the movie. <laughs> there you go, Sunny Man. Let's hear yeah. some thought, your thoughts on on Splinter here before we start talking a little bit about the Foot Clan here. Yeah, man, Splinter looks cute. Like he looks like a like a cute little creature, like little Muppet guy. But yeah, man, like he totally his movements are off. He looks frail. You don't really believe that he could be like this all powerful, like, you know, like Yoda, like kicking ass and taking down Shredder. Um, so for me, it just, he didn't really work. And like how he kind of just like pops up and like he's like, he's got like telepathic powers now and stuff. I never really like bought that part of it when he was like showing up in the flame and he like goes to Leo in a dream and stuff. That part always felt a little bit off to me uh, with the rest of the tone of the film. So definitely I'm with you. Like Splinter was like my weakest part of the film, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. As, and it's like it, it's, it is Splinter, though, that I think really kicks this film the high gear. And it's when we have Raph returning with April to the sewer and you've got the foot soldiers finding him. And then you have the turtles you know, up giving April a ride home, basically. And he's kidnapped, and that's what really forces the turtles out of hiding and into this next really, really great scene. And this is when we get, you know, the foot soldiers have made their presence felt. And, you know, we're going to talk about Shredder here in a minute. But it's it's this first fight scene I want to talk about here in April's Antique. First big fight scene, I will say. Um, you know, starting with the moment with Raphael and then coming down to the burning building, this really intense close-quarter fight. This, as a kid, I remember this being one of my favorite fight scenes in the film. You know, the end fight scene is cool because it's all over the place, but this one, the close quarter, you've got that guy with the axe. Like, I specifically bought that foot soldier when he hits the power line. Like, like the, this fight scene, and I'm going to touch on you first here, Troy, because, you know, you mentioned this already about the Raphael, him taking on, you know, he's basically egging on the foot soldier here. There's like 20, 30 guys around him, and he's doing his thing. And so you get this nice, you know, image of of Raph doing the ninja thing and really, really making or, or holding his own until he's chucked through this. And he's kind of like on the ground, you know, is he dead? And then you've got this massive fight scene. I love yeah. this fight scene, man. How do you, how, like, like, it's, you know, I know you talked about some of your fight scenes that you really enjoy. Is this one of them in the film? Oh, yeah, this is this is the biggest one for me. Yeah. This is probably the best um, that combat's been executed, too, throughout the film. Um, and you get, like, a little bit of a daylight fighting, too, with Ralph on the rooftop, yeah. right? So there's no holding back. Um, and I love I love seeing a one-man army, hence why I loved, you know, seeing Cap at the end of Endgame, you know, not bowing down, trying to take on an army, <laughs> a villain. So uh, bringing it back here with the Turtles, same thing. I love seeing Ralph just egging these guys on holding his own and then he's like is that all you got and then more of them show up and then he's like oh shoot okay uh <laughs> right have options here um but again it's the directing too because i love the transition it's it's of going between like a serious battle and then you can also bring it back to like some comic relief of the turtles the three talking with april there and um i like the moment too with donnie or not donnie sorry michelangelo when he brings up the nunchucks and then he goes after yeah. They have a nunchuck battle, and it reminds me of Keaton's Batman. You know, in Keaton's Batman, when he takes on the one dude who's showing off all these cool, like, 
I don't know, like martial arts skills and then that oh, yeah. takes him out. Yeah. <laughs> and I was waiting for, you know, Mikey to do something like that, but you know, they, they go back and forth. It's, it's kind of similar, but um, I do like this for me. This is the best it's been for the combat in this, in this film. Yeah. It's at its peak uh, for me here. So this is great. This is all around just fun. And it takes a while if you think about it to really get into the combat, because we do get that little moment of obviously the turtles trying to save, um, save April. But that's just like a quick like blackout yeah. scene, and then you get Raph. Raph again on the subway. So it's yeah, this is like the big big fight here, the first big one. Yeah, that's it is, like, it's like forty minutes in. Yeah, at least, and yeah. it's the first one you have all four of them like visually fighting, right? And yeah. you don't even really at, at one moment. This is still not all four turtles fighting together, right? It's only three yeah. of them really. I think that's Casey right. Jones popping in here, and I find this is a place too where the score really takes off. Um, And the score like kind of drives you through kind of these earlier moments, like you said, as they're jumping between kind of the lighthearted Mikey and Donnie moments and then Raph fighting and you get that hard guitar in there with the foot soldier theme. So good. (laughs) But I find the score really helps intensify the scene, especially when everything starts on fire. That's again, another great cue for how this is escalating and how quickly is escalating. Carlos, is this a, <laughs> a scene that you enjoy as, as much as Troy and I? Do you find this is kind of that pivotal fight scene, which allows us to get to a point where we're kind of up here, we're amped up, and it makes the follow-on farm scene, you know, where we kind of have the time to take a big breath before the next big, big battle scene. Like, does this build and crescendo enough for you that we're able to take a break after this for 20, 30 minutes? Yeah, no, this was probably my favorite part of the whole movie. Like, um troy got at like i thought it was probably the strongest uh directing with the or the strongest storytelling with the decision to have uh raf's battle with the foot soldiers juxtaposed with the turtles kind of having a good time and shooting the breeze and i can't remember they knew splinter was abducted at that point in time correct yes yeah they're waiting yeah yeah they're waiting for april to kind of suss out where he was no, okay, yeah, that's right, and yeah, no, I thought it worked really well, and it was uh, it was a fun scene. I thought this was the one time that you actually got to see the turtles' personalities uh, really come to the forefront, and they all had fun moments, like like you mentioned, uh, Mikey with the nunchuck duel, and or even just Donatello goofing around with his head in the fish tank and spraying the guy <laughs> in the face, and Leo um, playing around with the foot soldiers, like they kind of allude to the fact that he's a way better swordsman than any of them are. <laughs> so yeah, no, I thought that that's probably my favorite scene of the whole movie and you get to see the turtles kind of thriving and it, it really makes the climax of the film pale in comparison. Yeah. Um, because this one's just, it's kind of fun and it hits all the beats with the turtles and it, and it's probably the most boisterous and, and um, loud scene of the movie too. Yeah, which just the sheer volume of combatants and stuff getting on fire, and yeah, you don't know what's going to happen next. So yeah, well, it's it's a tense scene, right? I think it puts stakes to the whole thing too, right? Is that these turtles aren't invincible? You mm-hmm. have Raph, who's been you know portrayed for the most part of this film as being the toughest turtle, and they're dragging him out of the building. And so I like that it puts the turtles on their heel, and I think you need a battle of this scale to make the turtles feel real, to make them feel vulnerable, right? And this is the scene that you need. And it's interesting, you know, we've talked lots, we've done a ton of movie reviews on the podcast here, and we often have this conversation, is that the middle scene, the middle fight scene, is often the best fight scene. Mm. 
and the mm-hmm. climactic scene, you know, the big fight at the end often doesn't compare, you know, it's more of a personalized moment. You know, you see things and everything from like civil war where you have this big, huge battle in the middle that is often the best battle. And then you go to the end and it's more of a personalized fight that doesn't compare in the same magnitude that you get with these middle scenes. So Sonny, are you feeling the same way about this, that this is kind of the best fight scene in the film? Oh yeah. 100%. Um, as you mentioned, like it's a good fight scene. It's in close combat and the location that the fight takes in is pretty interesting too. You're on top of the antique store. Of course they crash into it. So the settings, you get to see yeah. all the old stuff and like the really old stuff. Cause that was like old stuff for 1990. So like <laughs> 2020, like this is like ancient stuff. Like, yeah, <laughs> you get to see some of that stuff. I think there's like a tape player in there, a cassette player in there, which like, if you showed kids now, they'd be like, what is that like monstrosity? And you'd be like, it just played music kids. That's all it did. <laughs> um, I thought that was great. And like the fire goes off. So like, you know, you have that stakes and it is kind of like, are they going to get out? Are they not? And I do like how like Raph is carried out. So it does show, as you mentioned, the stakes where it's like, okay, these turtles aren't just going to mow through these foot soldiers. Like they're putties, you know, like they're <laughs> like, they're the, what, what are the, like the eye things in suicide squad or the Shatari and Avengers. Yeah. Like these things actually like took some people out. So like the foot were really dark in this film. Um, so I, I really dug this fight scene. Yeah, it, it was great. And it, it, again, it gave, the foot something to do right it made them feel like a force to be reckoned with you know we've touched on these guys we've seen kind of the 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 younger crew get beat up at the start raf took them on -on one-on-one pretty easily even april was slapping these guys around so it actually (laughs) gives them a bit of you know as far as the the main villains like yeah they are cannon fodder but they are part of this bigger force and you know the nice thing that we do get about the foot is that you know, in a lot of those films that you mentioned, Sanjay, too, they these guys are just pure cannon fodder. They're given really no backstory. You know, we see this in every superhero film. There's got to be this faceless army that these guys can just beat up, right? But the thing that I like about what they do in this film is the foot get a small arc within this. And it shows how they've taken, like, these disenfranchised teenagers. You know, the world has rejected you. And Shredder's using that to to build this small army. And like, guys, tell me as kids, when you're watching this, you're seeing all these, all these, you know, young kids, they're skateboarding, they're smoking, they're drinking, they have like this <laughs> arcade, they have this like cool base. Like I was like, as a kid, like not knowing, like, yeah, smoking's terrible, guys, never do it. I've never actually smoked my whole life. But as a kid looking at this, I was like, this is badass. Like, <laughs> like Sunny Man, like, did you look at yeah. this when you were a kid and being like, man, this looks really like, do whatever you want. And you've got, what's his name in there? Um, from Iron Man 2. Sam Rockwell. <laughs> Sam Rockwell, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's leading the charge in the foot army. Yeah, man. The foot, like, looking back now, 30 years later, I can't believe they got away with this. Like, showing the kids smoking cigars, yeah. asking for cigarettes, <laughs> gambling, playing poker, probably drinking, probably doing drugs, and who knows what else, right? Like, it's pretty crazy that, like, for this film for kids, and they portrayed him as, like, doing all this stuff, whereas now you do that, that you automatically slap like an nc-17 rating on it seems like these days (laughs) so for them to do this in like a pg film is pretty crazy but yeah man that base like they had the arcade set up there's that one game narc i remember (laughs) i saw that i was like i don't even know if that's like an actual game or not or if they just made it for the film but i thought that was like no it's a real game (laughs) oh oh, is it (laughs) yeah totally 
That Remember you fight like these these bad guys that would throw hyperthermic needles at you oh, come <laughs> and on. totally like rock your guy. <laughs> That's the worst. No way. Yeah. And the end boss was like this Modoc type of thing, if I remember correctly. And you had to like, you had this big tongue that would come out. And I'm like, what is this? And why did we spend money playing this? Wait, wait. So, so the whole game is like an anti like drug PSA. Yeah, why is the foot like promoting this game? Like the kids would probably realize. Maybe like Shredder wanted his kids to be like lean and mean and be like not not be on drugs. So he's like, hey kids, like play this game, Nark, and then you could be like be like a super soldier, like us or something. Yeah, like don't do know, drugs. And to be honest with you, that's totally the part of the foot that bothered me to no end. Like even when I saw it, because I was like, how do you have like Shredder, who's like super badass and then you have like his lieutenant and all these disciplined foot soldiers but yet you have like the chaos of all these <laughs> shitbag kids and yeah. that's supposed to be your army like how do you get from like smoking menthol cigarettes playing narc and skateboarding to being a ninja i i didn't like i remember being young being like the math doesn't work out for me the but, training uh, program was rigorous that they didn't show. It, it should have been. They should have showed like a montage, right? Well, like they, that would have been a like Rocky style montage. Like the they had like mon- they had the scene where they had the kid fighting Master Tatsu and all that, because yeah. it con it, it like it directly contrasts those two worlds, right? It's like him wandering around like run play or whatever, right? And <laughs> but like I always you I always took it as like th- this is how you get the kids in. And then you slowly take out the ones that are like, you know, somewhat reasonable as far as abilities. And that's how you build your army. But like, it's so, it's, it's kind of a funny thing too. Like at the start when they're stealing stuff, they steal that woman's TV and like, yeah, it's, it's quite good. And it's interesting too. They give this, like, like you said, you know, Carlos, you, you aptly pointed out that you got April as a POV here and you got this Danny kid who acts as kind of like the bridge between the audience and the foot. So he's the one that's experienced. He's actively rebelling. And part of this, this foot soldier stealing and his dad has this, you know, interesting connection to April. And so it all works kind of in there. And then he's eventually kind of pulled out of this world by splinter. Um, but like, but Troy, man, like the foot, like as far as an enemy, a cannon fodder army is somewhat, but, they they kind of give you a little bit of background to them, which I can appreciate. Do you appreciate it in the same way? Um, I well for me it, it goes back to the design. I always love the design yeah. of what the foot soldiers look like, especially compared to the cartoon. I can't mm-hmm. remember what they looked like in the original comic book, but the cartoon I always thought they looked kind of ridiculous. Like they look the, like zombies. Their head sculpt. Yeah. They kind of <laughs> like the xenomorph, like head, a little bit shorter than a xenomorph of. Uh, yeah. The aliens, but no, um, I loved how they looked in this film. Um, going back to um, the lair, you know, now that Carlos points it out, it is like weird. It's like, what? <laughs> like, it doesn't make no sense. But I remember as a kid, I was like, whoa, this looks cool. Like, yeah, it was like a dark, um, a dark, uh, what's what's that place with the mouse? Easy or not easy street? Chuck E. Cheese. Cheese. Yeah, oh, like, yeah. You know, I was like a darker yeah. Chuck E. Cheese, man. And I was like, this, this is cool because they had me with arcades. You know, you show me an arcade at that age, man, I'll join the Foot Clan for sure. Um, <laughs> That's a missed but... business opportunity. We should open up I'll Foot headquarters foot. across North America. Just have skateboarding, you know, smoking area, fight cage um, arcade back. games, fight cage. Yeah, man, like yeah. extreme Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> 
yeah. foot headquarters. We're gonna open it. Brought to you by the Nerd Room. But you gotta, not you gotta that bring we endorse smoking. We got we gotta get that disclaimer out there. Not that we endorse smoking in any way. The only smoking we endorse is if you smoke your meat. So yeah, you gotta bring me an 18 inch rabbit ear TV though to get into the foot. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe smoke salmon too. Smoke salmon's pretty good too. I just want to get that out there. <laughs> It, it it was always interesting though because I remember like obviously coming off the cartoons when I thought of the lair of the foots and, and Shredder was always the Technodrome that's always yeah. like mm. been the base but obviously with the budget they had you couldn't get that so I was always kind of like that's weird like that's not the Technodrome because that's <laughs> in my head that's what I want to see is that's where the foots hang out that's where they where they live so it was definitely a big departure from that but I guess I guess it kind of made sense like to wheel the kids in to the, with the yeah. game. The, the c- cigarettes were a big thing, I guess, back then for teenagers. <laughs> um, and the skateboard, you know, because skating too, skating was a big thing. That was like probably like skateboarding was like at its peak then until Tony mm-hmm. Hawk came back with like the video games and whatnot. So that was like a huge, a huge deal. So um, overall, that was like whatever. But I think, again, just the designs of the foots worked for me. Their fighting ability worked for me, even though April got some licks in, but the fighting ability worked. And yeah. That's that's where I'll rest that case there, man. That's, yeah. that's all I got. <laughs> I agree with you. And I think like the lair works in this world, right? The world that they established. It makes sense that this is this. Like if the Technodrone showed up at this point, you'd be like, what the? <laughs> yeah, totally. Just no like parked to... in Central Park. Yeah. Like, I don't know. That looks like a, a lair. They're like, nah, it's fine. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. So, no. The way they did it here, like the Foot Clan worked for the movie that they made. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it made perfect sense. And even Shredder, like, Carlos, I, I want you to comment here on, on Shredder a little bit. Like, this is a character that is is primarily held in the dark for a good chunk of the film. And then he has kind of that grand reveal. And I always, always remember Tatsu rolling up his shoulders, right? And you see them pan around the camera, his helmet. you got this big helmet on. And then they've got the deep voice on him too, right? Mm-hmm. Spl- or Shredder works for me in this film. You know, what they do with him, even towards the end, him fighting and how dynamic and how awesome his fighting looks compared to the Turtles. Like, I don't think he gets enough time in that fight scene. But overall, I think as kind of like the face of the foot, this this larger than life villain, it works for me. And I like the way they reveal him and I like what they do with him in this film. Like, I, you know, as he gets to two and he becomes super shredder and all this stuff, like that grades on me a little bit. But what they do here in the universe they built with the Foot Clan and how they establish all this, like I think he's a really, really great antagonist. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I like visually he looked spectacular. I thought yeah. he was perfect uh, complement to the Ninja Turtles and had enough of the trappings of the animated show, but yet they adopted the look and made him like he was very striking um, on screen. And even when like he fought the turtles and stuff at the end, uh, you could tell like the turtles were limited by the suits, but yet he could have done way more damage if he if he was let off the chain so yeah that was cool like he he falls down a little bit for me with like kind of what his motivation was like looking back it's just like well what are you doing like you got your your group home that you're running here and then (laughs) maybe shredder's the good guy he's trying to take these kids that have ran away from home he's trying to give them skills you know he's trying to train them up Shredder did nothing wrong. He's the good guy in this. Yeah, exactly. He just they needed a TV for the rec room downstairs, and that's why, <laughs> yeah. that's why those kids went out. But uh, yeah, like I I don't think they did a great job 
showing what his motivations were and what his role like his role was simply to be the figurehead of this group of kids or this antagonistic force kind of thing that was sieging New York but um, the why was and that was part of how they revealed him right because April was trying to figure out the why for the news like why do these people show up and why are they committing all these crimes kind of thing so yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a good point. Like, it's never, we never really know the motivation of the foot, right? And maybe that could have been captured in a bit of the context of what Splinter was saying and some of the stuff we get later on. But it's never, like, fully revealed what, what the end goal is for them. Like, is it to take over New York? Is it just become, like, a crime ring for whatever reason? Yeah, I, I, I will give you that. Like, it's, it's a good point that their motivation is never clear. I think visually, like you said, Troy, the foot have, you know, a great look to them, shredder. Like you said, Carlos is is very striking. It works, you know. Translating that from the cartoon to this, it makes perfect sense. And I like the way that they weave together him and, and Splinter's history as well. It 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 all it all works, you know. And maybe you could argue, you know, Sanjay, like, what are your thoughts on when they kind of reveal that his face is covered because Splinter scratched him as a rat, the rat that was training, and it was his <laughs> master that he killed. Like they weave. And maybe a bit quicker relative to what they do in the other parts of the film, they weave Splinter and Shredder's story together pretty quickly here, and have this be like a large like he's been chasing this rat forever, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> it was his, turns into mouse hunt or something. Yeah, you dirty rat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> so like, that was what, spot what, on, Troy. <laughs> what, what do you, what do you think of kind of of Shredder here and? how they tie him and Splinter's story, overall story together. Yeah, man. Uh, Shredder's great. Like, especially as a kid, he was kind of terrifying for me with like, they build him up. He doesn't really say much. He looks terrifying. He's got like the metal spikes on him. Uh, they roll up the, the cape and I, I thought Shredder works 100%. When they take off the mask and reveal his scars, um, I thought that was pretty cool. The one thing I thought was cute was like Splinter was like doing the Kung Fu next to his master and I was just like, or like, I don't even know, like the karate or like whatever he was doing, like all the moves next to his master. And I was like, if you were like the guy doing it and you had a pet rat and he was doing it beside you, you totally would like notice. You'd be like, oh, look how cute he was. Like, that would be like a YouTube video now. Like, that'd be like a billion hits. <laughs> I, I thought that was great. Um, they, they weave it in. Yeah, like, he, it's kind of funny because he's like, he's like, I was that rat. And like Shredder's just so quick to ex- accept that, that like, there's just like <laughs> rat that like came over from Japan that mutated into like a humanoid rat. Shredder's just like, oh, it was you. Just like no like questioning of it at all. He was just like, you. <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, but yeah, it, it just works, man. Like it's just one of those things like we say, you don't even like question it. The way they like present the story and the way that they like bring you into this world that it doesn't even seem absurd. You know what I mean? No. Like if you if you like look at it from the outside, like this whole thing is ridiculous. But like when you like watch the movie and you go in, it just works and it like fits together and it like it's crazy and it's out there. Like and it, it it's just totally bonkers. But like the world that they create, like they do such a good job crafting this world and you know, using the sets that they use and the uh and the daytime and the nighttime scenes and stuff and everything, it just works. And they just make it work for you that it becomes believable. So 
that's a long-winded answer, but Shredder was great. <laughs> well, it's it's funny you say that and bringing the context of it is ridiculous how quickly he's just like, yes, that is the rat. Scratch yeah. my face. <laughs> but like, yeah. I found myself in that scene being like, damn, man, he must feel something. Like that really connects those two characters. But like, it's ridiculous <laughs> when yeah, you think but about it. Works. it. Work, but I found myself totally just works. buying into it. Like I never questioned. Me that too. I didn't question it. until like two seconds ago when <laughs> I was like talking, and I was like, "Wait, that that sounds crazy." <laughs> now, Troy, translating this character yeah. from the cartoon into yeah. live action, the, the did it translate well for you? Like for for Shredder? Yeah, for Shredder. Yeah, no, um, definitely. I remember being a kid, and I was like, "Whoa, this guy's his look was." Might have been up there with Vader. Like he was pretty terrifying. Yes. It it was crazy. Um, his dominance over the turtles at the end is pretty cool, actually. To see that the turtles just didn't stand a chance. One, you know, <clears throat> one at a time against them, not a chance. So that was that was neat. But um, I'm with Carlos with the motives. I needed I needed to know why is he doing all this chaos? Like what's his end game here? That kind of bothered me a little bit. And you know what I um. I kind of ruined it for myself because uh, I think it was a couple days ago I went back and watched Batman vs. TMNT. And that Shredder is like, whoa. That Shredder to be like probably the best Shredder I've seen in a long, long time. So I guess when I had to compare that Shredder to this Shredder, it kind of mm-hmm. ruined it for me because I'm seeing that Shredder like take out Batman kind of. And he put some damage mm-hmm. on the Batman. So when I've seen him in this film, it's a little different for me. But I mean, if I take that out as a kid, yeah, cool totally works as an adult mm, not not the best villain i actually feel like and i have to go back to turtles too but i remember the super shredder i was more like damn this guy's this guy's on another level like how are you gonna stop this guy he's a threat well but, like they they make their own motive for shredder in turtles too right it's okay. revenge right like right, he just yeah, he wants course. revenge on the turtles for chucking him in the dump Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and they straight up just like I thought for sure he was dead. I was like, "How does he survive that? That's nuts." He survives the garbage truck. <laughs> <laughs> I challenge you. <laughs> so good. <laughs> but again, yeah, and then you know when you see like because this whole time this film you see Shredder, he's such an imposing figure. When you see Splinter, he's not by any means. So when we get that end battle between those two, it just didn't pay off for me, and it kind of took a lot out of the. Uh, the stakes that shredder offered. Yeah. I I don't disagree with you there. Like even if you look back, I find that your comment earlier on about the fight scenes being very zoomed in that end fight scene, they're zoomed out and you can see a lot of shredders movements. Yeah. And he is so quick and so dynamic and it's very cool. And he's got the staff and he's got the, you know, it's really cool what they do with him in that scene. It's kind of one of the ones that they frame out a bit differently compared to they basically give you the whole space of the rooftop and say, work with this when everything else is kind of like close quarters inside an antique store. You know what I mean? Which is awesome because when you look at a lot of the turtles, a lot of the art, a lot of the posters, even some of the comics, the the coolest thing with the turtles is the rooftops and the silhouettes of the figures. Mm -hmm. So, or the, mm-hmm. uh, of, 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 of the characters. So to get this movie and they don't take advantage of it, it's kind of doing a disservice because you're like, man, you got all this wicked source material of these figures zoomed out and they look so cool, so unique, almost Daredevil-like, right? Yeah. You don't have an opportunity to do that with many other properties. So when you see something like this, I guess just as an adult now, I just wish we got more of that. And, and you're right, with, with the Shredder battle, we definitely do. And that that's a pretty cool effect, I think, when it yeah. comes to the cinematography of how they captured that. 
Yeah. yeah, and I wonder if this is a consequence of them trying to hide a bit of the stuff, right? Being yeah. close, you can hide some of the flaws and, and the movements yeah. of the turtles or maybe lack thereof. Yeah. And it's because it's interesting because most of the heavy fight scenes are close quarters or dark. Yeah. And I think that is just an effect of them hiding some of the flaws. And I and I, I can appreciate that from a, a production value too, because yeah. it's really when we get to this farm scene is the only time we spend a good amount of time with the turtles in the light. Yeah. This whole farm scene, which is kind of one of the few down moments in this film. And I think it's a nice spot where we can take a breath and you learn and you grow with the characters. I find that, like I said earlier, this is when they, they do take an opportunity to individualize them again, separate them out, give them tiny little stories in this, you know, deep breath within the middle of this film. And like, like Troy coming back to, to this farm scene, mm-hmm. was it too much of a break? Like we go from this really intense fight scene. We've talked mostly about the end fight scene and how it gets, you know, picked up intense with the foot clan and shredder and all that. Yeah. But this movie, and I think Carlos, you touched on this as well. And I agree with it. Very economic in its storytelling, very quick. It gets boom, boom, boom. But we take a good 15 minute break here in the middle of the film to learn a bit about the characters, to grow with them, and to see Raph basically mend to the point where the four turtles are ready to go back for the first time in the film and have an open fight with all four of them present. Like, yeah. is is this middle farm scene? Does it does it does it? Do you find it takes a, too much of a pause in the film when we're kind of going pretty quickly through this, or do you find it it's it's kind of a nice period to grow with the turtles, grow with Casey, grow with April, and just take a minute to breathe in the film? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a, it's an okay breather. It's it's you know as long when I was a kid. When I was a kid, this is a very long scene, mm-hmm. and as an adult, even I'm like, well, this is this is pretty long. But there's some stuff in there that is needed um, again to build up more of that chemistry between um, April O'Neil and Casey Jones. It's uh it's a nice two for the turtles where you get a moment where you can take Raph out of the picture and you can actually focus a little bit more mm-hmm, on the three. Exactly. You know, seeing Casey Jones and um and Donnie work on the car which is cool and they have a little bit of trash talk going on which i appreciate (laughs) um leo you know sobbing over raf in the tub a little bit i I love too the illustrations the sketches that they look wicked especially the fact that it's just like a drawing you actually get to see like some of the other like um shapes that she was using before and decided like what she wanted to go with i thought that was really cool the attention to detail especially you know this is a property based off of a comic book Mm -hmm. so i thought that was really cool to see and yeah maybe the scene for me that that didn't quite work the most was like this weird uh splinter jedi force ghost kind of moment (laughs) that's exactly what it is yeah, right. That was kind of like, uh, but it's a film of the 90s and the 80s where you would get like, you know, um, that scene or whatever, an action film when the, the guy loses and then he has to get back up on his feet, like mm-hmm. in Kickboxer or a Rocky film. You got to build yourself back up or even your guys's favorite film, uh, Dark Knight Rises, right? Like the last just pick. You got to climb your way back <laughs> out. Yeah, so. but like Alfred isn't coming to Batman as like a force ghost being like, Master Wayne, you must climb out of the pit. <laughs> Well, look, I think to me, I, I agree with you guys. It is a little weird. And I just found out that they made a NECA figure of that. Oh, um, oh really? Wow. Yeah, it's, it was a Loot Crate exclusive. But wow. um, it's I think it's trying to play into some of the mysticism of like that they're trying to portray with the Japanese samurai end of things. Right. And the mm-hmm. way that, you know, Splinter is kind of, you know, into the meditation and all that stuff. 
Yeah. And so I th- like if I'm trying to justify it, that's I think what they're getting at. But I agree with you. It kind of eh, sure, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's kind <laughs> of it's the thing that motivates them to go back to New York. Otherwise, we're just going to spend the rest of the time on this farm. <laughs> right. But but it, it is kind of cool, too, because for the most part, we, we spend a lot of time with the turtles and they're teenagers. Right. Yeah. And they're they're immature. This is a kind of cool part or part to see them like focus, buckle down and actually get into their training, because yeah. obviously they are gifted individuals that have gone this far. They must have done some training. So it's cool that we get that moment to actually experience it and see them go through these motions and see them kind of practice. So I guess it's it's it makes sense. It's needed. It's not my favorite part of the movie, but I guess you kind of need it in this film if you yeah. want to explore more of their characters and other characters like uh, Casey Jones and yeah. April. Yeah. yeah, it's really it's really an exploration end of the film. And I like I like your point about it being kind of a needed piece of the film for kind of these nineties, like he's down, let's get him back up, build you back yeah. up, and get into a space where, you know, the movie can progress overall. But Carlos, like like are you seeing this in the same light as that it's it's kind of a needed space, maybe shortening up a little bit? would have worked a little bit better for the economy of the film. Yeah, to be honest, I really like this scene. Um, it is 100% of that 80s, 90s formula for the <laughs> lick your wounds and get back in the fight type of thing. But uh, I thought they did it well. Like, I, Troy touched on it too, but yeah, one of my favorite things was her doing uh, the sketches of each of the turtles and then using that to a little vignette of um, each of them and developing their character a little bit. And I felt that this was probably the only time that the other three turtles got to shine a little bit outside of, um, or, and get out from under Raphael's shadow. So yeah, I appreciated this scene. Um, I do remember it feeling a bit long when you're a younger kid kind of thing and wanting to get to the, to the fight that they were teeing up and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, it was good. It was good. And yeah. then, helped you buy the romance too yeah. exactly it, it you know i think the like about it too is that it it really works at that romance it's not something that's implied like that she immediately falls for this guy like he has to work right <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to make himself even seem relatively appealing to her before the end of the film <laughs> which is nice too I, li- I like that that it's not this immediate like she falls in like she's infatuated with him or falls immediately in love with him it's like no man she puts up those barriers and makes him work for it <laughs> <laughs> which is nice now sonny man last comments here on on this farm scene and we're gonna, just going to briefly touch on the end fight scene we've touched on it in quite a bit of detail before we kind of give our final wrap up here but this being one of the calmer moments in the film you know was this that was that this that needed downtime before we get into this final battle with shredder yeah man it's kind of like uh age of ultron when they go to hawkeye's uh farmhouse there Very, yeah good yeah point. Yeah, yeah you know, like, and then in that film, that was some of like my favorite parts of Age of Ultron is when they're like, you get to see those like uh, characterizations and then like not in the suits or in the costumes and you get to see their personalities. Uh, similar to this scene, but not quite as effective as the Age of Ultron scene. I thought uh, this one was pretty good and I love the sketches as you guys mentioned. And I don't know, like the farmhouse, it looked kind of queen, it looked kind of cool and you get to see them out of the city and just kind of, you know, 90s regroup, as Carlos said, lick their wounds and then go kick ass. So, yeah, I mean, up until, like, Leo's just meditating and then Splinter's like, yo, I'm alive, man. And he's like, oh, <laughs> Splinter's alive. <laughs> oh, but, like, think about at the end of this scene, think about the score. Like, the da, yeah. when they're like, we ha- and they're all standing in a row and they're like, we have to go back. 
Like yeah. man, and the That's score good, peaks man. up. It's like boom, yeah, boom. yeah. And then they're back yeah. in the sewer, and then this is when it kind of we get another big foot battle here. And I love how this battle like starts in the sewer, goes through the sewer, spills out onto the street, and then onto mm-hmm. the rooftop. Like I like the guys kind of diving into the sewer at first, and then coming back out of it later. It's uh, it's a lot of fun as we build to this. Now we're not going to belabor this this last battle. We've touched on it, you know, throughout the review here, and I think you know. If I can summarize it, is that you know Shredder's a badass, but there is a you know we have you know maybe a bit of an issue with the way it ends here. It's I think relatively reminiscent of the final comic book battle that they have, so it is paralleling that. But Splinter himself being the one that executes Shredder, based on I think what they had to work with, doesn't exactly work for all of us. But as as we're kind of getting to this, I want you guys we're going to go around the table one more time and we're going to give our final thoughts on the film, and I also want you to bring in. And, and if you want to recontextualize your thoughts on this final battle with the Turtles, with Shredder, and then with Splinter, as we kind of get to the end of this film, and we get to a space where, you know, eventually we end up in part two, but for the most part, the threat has been dealt with by the Ninja Turtles here, and we get kind of the big cowabunga at the end, the big high five <laughs> that we're going to give ourselves when we finish this review. So I'm going to start <laughs> off with you, Troy, man. Yeah, final we... thoughts. Bring in whatever you want here if you want to talk a little bit about the final battle. But overall, final thoughts on the film. Yeah, overall, I mean, this film, I, I guess I would say it holds up. It doesn't blow me away. It's not a letdown. Um, it's fun. You take it for what it is. Uh, the standouts for me, hands down, is April O'Neil. Uh, Raphael and Casey Jones, I think they all brought it from the New York accent, from the chemistry, from uh, the wisecracking Casey Jones who just goes with the flow and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's kicking a lot of ass out there. So those three did it for me. The score isn't bad at all by any means. It still kind of works for this film, at least for my head canon here because I, I couldn't shake it. I just could not get rid of it from my uh, child self. Um, New York. I, I dig the way New York is represented in this film, which is pretty cool. The combat again, isn't the greatest for me, even for a movie set in the nineties, but I do love the middle fight scene a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, second fight scene as well is between just Raph and uh, Casey Jones, just that meeting between the two. I love the attention to like the kid stuff that we know from the cartoons, like the pizza. I love seeing Mikey and Donnie just counting the timer, waiting for their pizza to arrive. I think that scene was so cool. So getting pizza delivered to the sewers. And yeah, he's like, yeah. Hey man, you're, you short me three bucks. Nope. You were late. Well, I couldn't find the address. Like <laughs> I love that. <laughs> The half address. <laughs> I wonder how much Domino's paid to be put in that, eh? No kidding. <laughs> that was a huge what? advertisement for them. Well, because I remember the video games. When you play the NES video games, it's not Domino's. It's Pizza Hut, I believe. That oh, you see really? Yeah. Well, when was they did like, their live tour, wasn't it with Pizza Hut? Yeah, because yeah, they yeah. had like their yeah. song, the... Right, the, so it like, didn't last with the long. Ninja Turtles. Integrated <laughs> <laughs> into it. Yeah. So maybe Domino's didn't like how they're represented in that film. But, yeah, uh, their pizza was late, so that's probably why. <laughs> <laughs> but we're never late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But overall, no, it's it's a fun film. It's definitely cool to go back to, and it's 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 uh it's history of the turtles. This is definitely something that I would go back to, as opposed to some other things. There's some other things in the turtles history that have come up that's um you can just dismiss this is something that is a mainstay and i think it's it's worth checking out um and from there maybe hopefully if people do give this a chance they they go up there and and buy the the latest comics because honestly that that stuff is fire that stuff's Mm -hmm. honestly a lot of fun and if you if you appreciate this film by any means it's worth the shot 
to uh, to check out those. So overall, man, I mean, if I had to give it out of a ten, I would probably give this film a, a good seven point five. I, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Definitely not as much as a kid, but I enjoyed it. Uh, it's Raph's movie, so I'm all there for it, man. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, Sunny man. Final thoughts on the yeah, film? Yeah, man. Final thoughts? Like this is uh, a landmark film in terms of the history of superhero films in cinema. Um, you go back to 1990. This would be in the conversation of best superhero film of all time up until that point. I mean, we had Batman 89, Superman 1 and 2, and then this were probably the top four when this thing came out. Uh, you look at like what Marvel was doing at the time. Like They had put out Howard the Duck a couple of years earlier, and this film was like miles better than that. And like uh, Marvel was also, I think they had like a Captain America film that was either coming out yeah. this year or like the year after. Like Yeah, so at that Oof. film... This is miles better than that. So, like, when you contextualize where this film came from in 1990, it was top four, top five comic book films of all time. Now, there's only like ten of them made, but <laughs> it was it was in the top end for sure. Um, looking at it 30 years later, yeah, man, this film totally still stands up for me. Like, you got the score, the turtles look great, and I think the turtles will always look great because yeah. they're realistic. Um, and you mentioned Troy of, of um, April and Casey Jones playing off the Ninja Turtles so well, it's a lot easier for an actor to play off, you know, the Ninja Turtles as opposed to the Bay Universe where the turtles yeah. are CGI and there's nothing really there. It's Andy Serkis playing all four turtles. So, uh, <laughs> um, so for me, like this film is excellent. Like, yeah, some of the fight scenes they haven't really aged terribly as well and uh, splinter looks a little anemic and he needs a little bit of help but he somehow still takes down super badass shredder which to me never sat right i'm like shredder is like huge and like super cool awesome fighter and he loses to splinter just sidestepping him like he would never be that dumb just to charge at him full on that he's so delusional kinda... that this is the man that wrecked my face yeah <laughs> a rat that man <laughs> he kind of reminded me of like um who is that street fighter from spain with the ponytail who had the mask oh, vega yeah. vega vega yeah because yeah. he had the scar face too right so yeah. uh his little maybe they took his, his face. face oh is that what it was because i thought yeah. he had like a little scratch on this uh, that's dr mask. doom okay that uh, yeah <laughs> he's like an amalgam between dr doom and vega um but yeah man this film is this film is awesome like the cinematography looks amazing and like if you didn't grow up in the 90s this isn't the way life was in the 90s at least from my recollection as a three-year-old but like it kind of gives you a little bit of flavor of what life was kind of like in the 90s like you look at the streets you look at the music the clothing uh, the cars drive by so like that's another aspect to watch this film is because it was kind of, it is kind of like a time capsule of the 90s and like Ninja Turtles influenced so much of that time in the 90s. Like, I don't think it's any coincidence that, like, pizza restaurants boomed after this, right? Like, Pizza Hut, Domino's, like, all this stuff just took off like gangbusters. Um, and I think the Ninja Turtles played a small part in that. So, for me, yeah, man, you have to check out this film. If you love, like, all the Marvel films and all the DC films that are coming out now, you got to, like, go back and appreciate the classics. You know what I mean? Like, in English class you don't start off reading Stephen King or like, I don't even know any other modern authors that you go back and you read like the Dickens and you read like Shakespeare's and you got to go back and appreciate your classics. And this is definitely, if, if I was teaching superhero movies on film one oh one, 
first off, I would have the best job ever. And um, <laughs> second off, I would definitely show this film in class. I think it's that important. So for me, I'm with you, Troy. Actually, I give this a 7.5 as well. Maybe to be a dick, I'll give it a 7.6 and just so that we don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Carlos, man, let's bring your final thoughts into this conversation. Yeah, I I like this movie. Um, it's definitely a product of its time, but it did a, especially going back and kind of looking at it with the benefit of like however many more movies we've had in the genre space, like it was the perfect product for its audience. Like it was super efficient. The turtles were never off screen for very long. It, it is definitely a kid's movie, which is why I don't know that I would put it in that kind of transcendent all time classic space that Sonny was uh, hinting at. Like, <laughs> like uh, obviously take it with a pinch of salt because it's Batman, but it's like, it's not, <laughs> a Batman 89 or it's not a Terminator two or even a gremlins or, or a movie of that nature. That's an all time classic and is going to be, um, in the library of Congress or whatever the American film Institute, sorry, um, for all time, but it is great. And if you like Ninja Turtles, like this was the perfect way that they could have sought to bring these characters to the screen in 1990. And it did its job extremely well. So, yeah, I, I'd i probably give this one a six, six and a half for me. Um, but there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, um, it's not an all-timer either. Yeah, It's a yeah. fun time with the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, man. <laughs> well, I think that that's it for me. You know, like, to round this out, I, I loved this movie as a kid. And I have to say, on multiple revisits over the last couple of years, this holds up for me. It's you can go back to movies in the early 2000s, mid 2000s that don't hold up this well. Mm-hmm. And I think it has a lot to do with the turtles worked. They were the core of the film and they had to work to make this a good movie. But then they appended the rest of the movie with great supporting characters that made the story work. And I think, you know, you've come back to this several times Carlos and I love the idea of economic storytelling, economic filmmaking, and this executed in that fashion. And everything they did from the cinematography to the score, it all worked for me. It was organic, it made sense, and it was very much a nice hybrid of the comics, of the toys, and of the cartoons of its time. And, you know, anyone that has a love for this in the past, if I find it very hard that you don't still find love through this, even through the eyes of today when we've had films like the dark Knight and Endgame and everything that's come out in the last couple of years, like this still works for me. Um, I like this better than anything that's come out after it as well. And so I, this is a huge, this is a, between a seven and eight for me. I am very much in the same space as you guys with regards to its rating, it's up there. It works. And it, to me, it stands the test of time for a Ninja Turtles film and for a film of that era. Like this is something that I will return to with my children. And then I'm going to probably pop on, you know, once in a while here, this is a film that's on Netflix that if I'm just doing stuff in the background, boom, it goes on. And I, I love this, this discussion. And I love talking through this guys. And I love that, you know, for the most part, we all found something that still resonated with us, you know, as, 
modern day film watchers as 2020 as a 2020 audience we can still appreciate things that were done 30 years ago in this space so absolutely blast guys this was a ton of fun to review another great listener choice review in the books guys this is uh this is something we're going to continue to do. We're going to put another four films up here in a couple months for you guys to choose what's next. We're going to try to keep this inside the nerd space, but something that's a little bit different from the normal comic book movies that we do review every once in a while whenever we get those again. But we're going to be filling that review space with these films go forward. And guys, to wrap this whole thing up, if you'd like to be a bigger part of this, one, you can catch us on Get Vocal on Friday night, getvocal.com. That's V okl.com and get in front of that of course we're doing live stream this week in nerd this week and go back in the archives they will be archived there so you can catch those live streams if you don't happen to be in the same time zones as us or if you don't have a chance to get to it but we're having a ton of fun with this we're going to make this sort of after the next couple of weeks an event style thing so this is going to be every single week but we're going to build to something that's every month or every six weeks something to this effect that allows us to interact with you guys in this space and for everything else that we do you can always find us at the nerdroom.net you can hang, find us hanging out on twitter maybe carlos will be in the end don't know don't know maybe he'll be in the credits there someday <laughs> but just look up one of us and you'll find his twitter handle because of course we're always roaming around twitter looking for something to do at the nerd rm you can catch all our get vocal updates as well as all the hunt updates this week's gonna be a ton of fun walking through that space you can find everything you know we're part of the source commonwealth you can find everything they do at source commonwealth.com and last but not least, a big shout out to our man Rob Way that endorses this podcast over at emotionally14.com. So make sure to head over there, check out what him and ever all the other endorsed podcasts are doing. Well, guys, with all that being said, make sure to check us Friday night and every single Thursday. We're coming at you with the latest in Star Wars Marvel and DC. And you know what? And beyond, guys. We're gonna throw maybe a beyond there. Go forward, you know, because we're expanding the nerd room. We're always trying to capture these fandoms you know, all inclusive and all that. And it's just a ton of fun to talk about the stuff that is on the, maybe, you know, considered on the periphery of what we do, but we're going to, you know, pull it in. It's going to become part of the nerd room. Go for it here, guys. So until Friday, and if not then, until next week for the nerd room, I'm Leonardo. I'm Raphael. Damn. I'm Donatello. And I'm Michelangelo. <laughs> now, uh... all right guys thank you so much friend of the nerd room we will see you next week this has been a nerd room podcast production you can find our hosts tim troy and sanjay on twitter at the nerd rm troy the boy 87 and sanjabi for more content from the nerd room check out the nerdroom.net and don't forget to subscribe to the nerd room on itunes podbean spotify wherever you plug in be sure to head over to StarWarsCommonwealth.com to find more podcasts from Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network, including Talk Star Wars, Tumbling Saber, Generation X-Wing, Road Squadron Podcast, San Diego Saber's Radio Podcast, Retro Inc., and the Sandcrawler Podcast. Follow the Star Wars Commonwealth on Twitter at SWCommonwealth and take your first steps into a larger world.